And then tonight, I would like to introduce you, uh, Father Paul Rutten. He has uh, been ordained for the Diocese of Sioux Falls now for three years, four years? Going on four. Going on four years. I had the privilege of working with him throughout the years as a seminarian and now as a priest. He is at the SDSU Newman Center, and there's a good group here supporting him. And tonight he will be talking on exorcisms. As per the, uh, per the routine tonight, we are going to go for about 35 to 40 minutes, or if he goes an hour and a half, we'll pull him off, and then we'll open it up to the floor for question and answers. So, ladies and gentlemen, Father Paul Rutten. Let us begin with a prayer in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Dear Lord, we give you thanks and praise for all that you have given us. We give you thanks for the gift of our faith, the faith that strengthens us in all of our trials and tribulations, the faith that we celebrate the great joys of our lives. We especially give you thanks for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ, who came to free us from Satan and his power. We ask your special blessing upon all of us tonight, that we may grow in holiness in all that we do and all that we say. We ask this in your name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Alrighty. Again, thank you, Kevin, for introducing me and for being nice to me. Kevin and I go back a long way, so he's got a lot of things he could have said. As we begin, if I speak too fast or too quiet, just somebody raise your hand and let me know that you either can't hear me or I need to slow down. Uh, Ruttons tend to speak at a rapid rate quite often. Uh... In fact, to a little bit about myself, as I was coming home from vacation right after Christmas, I had a message from Chris Bergwald that said, Father, you're doing the uh, Theology on Tap, right? And I had to think about it and say, yeah, that's the right, yep, doing Theology on Tap. And he wanted to know what I was doing. And to be honest, I hadn't picked the topic yet. And so I said, well, I'll get back to you on it. And I began to think about some of the things that I had talked about at the Newman Center. And one of those things was exorcisms. Um, at the beginning of the school year, a movie many of you maybe have heard about, The Exorcism of Emily Rose, had come out. And I had a variety of college students coming to me saying, Father, this stuff isn't real, is it? You know, the exorcisms don't happen. This isn't what was supposed to be. And then I had a girl come and she said she couldn't sleep. She said every night she goes to bed and she thinks about this movie. And she said, Father, I'm worried. And then I began to realize maybe there's more people out there that are wondering, what is this all about? So I decided on Halloween we would talk about exorcisms. It would be a good time to talk. Um, and we had quite a good showing for it. And my brother had said, because he was there watching it, that I should do it again sometime somewhere. So thus here I am giving you a talk on exorcisms. And with that we will begin the topic of exorcisms. It's something, again, that I think has slipped our mind in our society today. About two years ago, uh, in the news, the Vatican had started a class, Exorcisms 101. Um, and I remember watching Bill O'Reilly, and Bill O'Reilly was kind of laughing that the, the church would be having this class called Exorcisms 101. And he said, you know, there, there's bad people, and people do bad things, but I just don't think there's a personified evil. And I thought, how sad. How sad that he could even know Scripture and realize that it talks constantly about Satan. And yet he can say to the whole world, he doesn't really exist. Don't worry about him. And that's when I began to realize that the Vatican wasn't just kidding and that there was a serious problem in our world when they have to start a class called Exorcisms 101. So I'll give you a little bit of an understanding of what exorcisms are. We will not do an exorcism tonight for a variety of reasons. 
There will be no exorcisms. But again, it's something that every bishop is supposed to be in charge of to begin with. At their ordination, it's one of their obligations. They are the chief exorcist of their diocese. And so every bishop, by virtue of being the bishop, is our exorcist. And then from there, he has the obligation and the duty to promote a priest to take care of the exorcisms throughout his diocese. Again, typically it's an older holy priest, and they don't ever really tell you who it is for a variety of reasons. But it's assumed that every diocese would have one. And so our diocese would have one, especially in the absence of our own bishop, um, who would be taking care of these needs. How often do they happen? We really don't have a lot of details um, for a variety of reasons. Again, it's one of those topics people don't like to have to talk about, especially if they're the ones who were exercised. Um, so the diocese simply says, yes, it does exist. Um, but I have to say, in a sense, probably one of the lacking things was even within the seminary, there wasn't a whole lot given to us about what to do. You know, because one of the things that you'll hear as we go on is often it's hard to determine between a person who's possessed and someone who has a psychological disorder. And so we run into this challenge of are they sick or possessed, both? Which one is it? And so often we just send them off to the doctors and the priests just kind of stand by and say, well, I'll say my prayers and that's it. But as I began to read about exorcisms, I realized again as a priest, it's something that we need to be aware of and it's something to be um, not afraid of confronting once in a while. The other reason why is I had a girl last year come to me and she said, Father, I see somebody in my room at night. She said it's a little girl and she comes out of the closet and it happens once or twice a month. She said, what am I supposed to do? And so I went over to her place and I said some prayers in the room and I blessed the room and I asked her a couple basic questions and one of them I said, do you have any Ouija boards? And she said, well, yeah. You know, we have one in the house and we play it once in a while, but it's never really a big deal. And I said, throw it away. And she said, Father, I can't. It's, I'm, I'm in a sorority and they won't let me throw it away. I said, lose it. It must find its way into the garbage. And here it was again, something simple. A game Milton Bradley makes. And it could have been the reason, I don't know. She's never come back to see me again, so I'm assuming the, the little girl never shows up again. But again, something so simple, and yet something so easily done. And again, if you saw the movie The Exorcist, way back in the 70s, that was exactly the same thing, playing with a Ouija board, inviting the spirits into your life to give you answers and to talk about different things. And so this is a serious topic, and it's an important one to be able to know about, but hopefully tonight you won't leave paranoid, afraid that maybe you'll be possessed, but instead you'll be strengthened to know what the church offers and to know what you can do for yourself. Again, we know Satan exists from the beginning. Again, the church teaches us that Satan was the greatest of all angels, and he was at the top. And so again, they say one of the greatest things is called pride. And so they say that Satan just struggled with this concept of Jesus Christ becoming a person. And Satan couldn't fathom why the Son of God would even think of becoming a person. And so he began to rebel and he began to say, I will not serve. I will not follow. And so as we know from Scripture, there was a great battle in heaven. And Satan and all of his dominions were cast out of heaven and sent to earth. And so they're still here. They're still around. But what we know is Jesus Christ has defeated Satan. 
And that is the key for all of us as Christians. To know that through the power of the cross of Christ, we are saved. That through the power of the cross of Christ, we have the strength that we need to survive. And so again, we ask ourselves, the other thing is, we look through Scripture these past few weeks, and what do you hear Jesus doing? Casting out demons. He was constantly casting out demons from various people, sometimes serious ones, sometimes many demons, sometimes one demon. Sometimes the demons did different things. And so we see it throughout Scripture. We hear that Jesus gives authority to the apostles in Matthew 10, verse 1, for them to cast out demons. And we hear of them coming back. And they say, Lord, even the demons are subject to Your name. It's incredible. All we have to do is speak Your name. And they obey. And so we begin to see that this is a very crucial part. And yet some people might ask us, again, what do we do and how do we know about this? And there's four things that we should always keep in mind from Scripture. The first one is, God wants all of us to be saved. That is primary. We must realize that salvation is for each and every one of us. And that God does not desire anyone to be damned to hell. But He wants us all to be saved. And also with that, that no one is actually predestined to go to hell. That nobody has been born and will end up in hell because God has determined it. There are some religions that believe this. That some people are just bound and determined to go to hell. And yet as Christians, we believe that Christ came to save all of us. And so we must ask ourselves, do we look for the good in other people? Do we strive to find the good in that child at school that seems to always cause problems? Or do we simply say, there's no more hope. There's no more hope for this child. Again, Jesus died for everyone. That includes the people we don't even like. That includes the people we don't think should be in heaven or are worthy of heaven. It's all of us. He died for each and every one of us. And fourth and final, there is sufficient grace for each and every one of us to get to heaven. That no matter what the cross is that we will carry, God will give you the grace that you need to carry your cross. And so it's important for us to keep those in mind as we look at the exorcisms and as we begin to look at the spiritual life that we live. What we see primary in all of exorcism, it's the name of Jesus Christ that takes care of the demon. Again, in one of the books that I had read about it, the priest made a mistake. And the way in which I kind of explain it to people, it's sort of like if you've got a big brother, and so your big brother's standing in front of you, and you're behind your big brother, and there's the bully on the other side. And you kind of just peer around, and you start making faces, and you call them names, and, and as long as your big brother stands there, you're fine. But if you step around your big brother and begin to make faces at that bully, the bully will show you who's tougher. And so this priest was in the middle of an exorcism, and he made a mistake. And he said, I will destroy you. And that's all the demon needed. The demon picked the priest up, threw him across the room, and he hit the ground. And the demon just laughed and said, you will destroy me? The priest forgot Jesus Christ will destroy the demon. Not the priest, but Jesus Christ working through me as a priest. Again, one of the other powerful things the priest talked about is a verse from Scripture that we hear often. And one I think that we as Christians should stop and ponder how 
How true do we see this? And he said when he's in the middle of his exorcism and he's struggling to get the demon to come forth, he quotes Philippians 2, 6-11. through 11. And this is where we hear about Jesus Christ humbling Himself. And we hear, because of this, God greatly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend of those in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And this priest said that whenever he says this, he genuflects and the possessed person genuflects along with him. Because even the demons are subject to the name of Jesus. Even the demons must kneel at the name of Jesus. And yet, how easy we throw the name around. How easy we just kind of dispel the power of the name of Jesus. And yet it is that name that controls the demons. It is in that name that every knee must bend. And so let's talk a little bit about what demons do. To give you a little bit of an idea again, we would say there's basic ordinary activity of every demon. And that's the simple temptations that come throughout our life. We know that with the fall, we are all subject to temptation. We're subject to doing the things that we do not want to do. And so in a sense, that's the ordinary activity of devils. They go around trying to tempt us, trying to get us to do the things that we shouldn't do. And we see that even Jesus allowed this in His life. That as He went out into the desert, He permitted temptation. Temptation from without. The temptation to eat. The temptation for glory. And so we shouldn't be surprised at times when we're tempted. When we're tempted by people, tempted by spirits. And that's in a sense just kind of the ordinary activity. It goes on all the time. And simple prayer, fasting, those kinds of things are things that we must do. But then we get into the more extraordinary activity. And the first one would be an external physical pain. That Satan can cause us pain if God permits it. And so if you listen to many of the saints throughout the history of the church, they will talk about times in which they wrestled with the devil. They were attacked by Satan in their sleep. They were trying to pray. We know again many times our great saints, Saint the cure of ours, talked often about being attacked by Satan, trying to get him distracted. They were mistreated in various ways, but never spiritually attacked. It was always something physical. And again with this, Prayer is important. Maybe simply a prayer to begin to understand why this is happening to me. Again, it's the question everyone always asks me. Father, why me? Why does this have to happen to me? And you know we don't have the answer. But God does. And so I always say, well, ask Him. Ask God. Why me? Then we move on to demonic possession. Again, this is the one that people probably think of the most whenever we talk about an exorcism. And this is when Satan takes either full or partial possession of the body, but not necessarily the soul. And so he can speak and act through the person without the knowledge of the person even knowing that it's happening. And so often the person will come back from one of these experiences and not know what just happened. This is again what movies are made of. This is what the exorcism of Emily Rose was about. This is what the exorcist was about. And so some of the things that you see in those movies are true. Again, they speak in foreign languages that they don't know. They speak usually very vulgar. Again, in the exorcisms that I've read about, 
It's very crude and vulgar language that Satan uses. There's extraordinary strength. And so throughout the exorcisms, typically they will either have to hold the person down or even restrain the person because of their strength. And again, we heard in Scripture just two weeks ago that he was so strong that not even chains could hold him down. But the demons were so powerful. Another interesting thing is they can reveal the unknown. And so again, this is one of the things that they talk about when they're doing the exorcism. That it's very important that the people who are in the middle of the exorcism not have any secrets. Because if you have a secret, the demon will know it. And the demon will begin to speak about it. And so in one of the exorcisms, there was two men holding down this young girl. And in the middle of the exorcism, the young girl looked at the one man and said, so how is his wife? And he kind of startled. And he said, the affair you've been having with his wife, how is it? And the truth was, he was having an affair. And the demon knew it. And the demon was hoping this would stop this. That they would be so flustered, so confused that they wouldn't know what to do. And it worked. They had to stop the exorcism because these two men couldn't continue with what they were doing. And so there is this that begins that things can be picked up and thrown across the room. And so again, it's important for them to know what they're about to do. It can happen in a sense at any time or any place. And so it doesn't, there's not always a warning before it's about to take place. But again, this is what most of the movies are made about. And we don't know exactly how often this takes place. But this is the one that people think of most often. The next one would be called diabolical oppression. And this, in a sense, would be like Job was oppressed by Satan. The woman who was bent over, or the dead and the dumb man, the various people were oppressed by a demon. They still know what's going on. They're still aware of themselves, but they can't quite figure out what is wrong with them. This, again, would require an exorcism, but it's hard to diagnose, and so often these people go to the hospital because they still don't know what's wrong with me. You know, again, it's one of those things that it's hard to tell. Am I being oppressed or am I just depressed? You know, is this a real illness or is this a demonic thing? And so again, that's why prayer is always key to our life. There's diabolical obsession. And this is, again, obsession, as you know, it's, it's the thoughts that keep coming back and I can't stop thinking about them. And it's, it's, it's something in my head and it keeps talking to me. And sometimes, again, you'll see they'll try to commit suicide because they just want them out of their head. They want whatever this is that's inside to come out. Again, you sometimes will see them then saying there must be a psychological problem. But again, it could be a diabolical obsession. There's diabolical infestation, which is kind of like termites. It's again demons which come in and possess a house, an object, an animal. It's not people, it's the things. And so again, maybe you have a house where things go floating across your room. Again, that would be something that is infested. And so again, a priest would come in um, and bless. It's again why we bless our homes. You know, people think Catholics are strange at times because we do lots of different things. But why not bless your house? Why not bring home a jar of holy water and sprinkle it in your kids' rooms? It's the most powerful thing you can do to make sure that you've blessed your home, that you've put up pictures of the sacred heart of Jesus, the immaculate heart of Mary, that you have a crucifix in your house. 
Again, it's somewhat sad as a priest when I walk into a home and I have to wonder, is this a Catholic home? It shouldn't even be a second thought. You should walk into the house and say, at least a Christian lives here. I can tell that so much. But as Catholics, we know there's power. There's power in images. There's power in holy water. So why not have them around? Why not have it part of your house? And then the sixth one, again, is a diabolical subjection and dependence. And again, this is when you voluntarily give yourself over to Satan. And this is scary. Because this goes on throughout the world, throughout our country. That people are pledging themselves to Satan. And I was just reading an article on it, and they said, do you know why they want to do this? Because human beings have a desire for the spiritual. And if we will not give them Jesus Christ, they will find a substitute. And Satan is more than willing to take the place of Jesus Christ. And so we must make sure that we are teaching our young about prayer, about the spiritual life, and helping them so that they might see it. Again, people will do blood packs. They'll consecrate themselves to Satan. There are churches of Satan. San Francisco is the head place. There in San Francisco is the head church of Satan. It's right there on the street corner, just like all the other churches. People walk by it and don't even think twice. You know? They have a right to have a church too, I guess, is what they would say. But again, how sad that we allow Satan to set up shop right on our street corners. Again, one of the things to say, what do you do? Father, I think my child is possessed. Pray. Pray often. The sacraments. When's the last time the family went to confession? One of the things that they found is, again, if you're not going to confession, you're preparing a place for Satan. Because you're saying to yourself, you know, God doesn't need to be part of my life. Again, almsgiving. And that doesn't just mean giving to Kevin Miles and CFSA, although we would always take all that money because the Newman Center gets it. 40% of my budget comes from Kevin, so feel free to give Kevin more money. But again, at the heart of this is selfishness. Father, I don't have enough money. I just bought a new boat. You're right. Father, we're going on vacation. You don't understand. We're strapped for money. And I don't even think you need to give it to me. Again, as I always say, give it away to anybody. It doesn't matter. Give money away. It will control you. And what I've also found, though, is this is a unique thing, and I don't say that it's going to work all the time. I find that every time I give, I receive. That I have a very generous God. And every time I write a check, somebody else sends me money for something. Not that that's why I do it, but God just keeps reminding me, are you willing to trust that I will take care of you? I am God. And so again, almsgiving. Leading a Christian life. Forgiving the sins of others. How sad it is to see a person on their deathbed and they still have not forgiven someone. And they'll stay there and wait. And the reason I believe they wait is because Jesus Christ is waiting for them to say, forgive this person so that He can accept them into heaven. Because if they can't accept forgiveness, if they can't give it, then how are they going to receive it from Jesus Christ? Again, asking the Virgin Mary, asking the saints and the angels to be part of her life. And the angels, again, is another topic that we kind of slide right off. And so, because Satan is an angel, 
I figure we should talk about the good angels. Again, I often wonder, why do we not pray our guardian angel prayer more often? And I remember saying it one time, and I said, I think it's because we think it's for our kids. Angel of God, my guardian dear. Again, we think that's for kids. But you have a guardian angel. Again, the catechism says each and every one of us has been given an angel. And what are they doing right now? What have you asked them to do for you? Do you ever ask them to help you, to protect you, to guide you, to look over you? And yet again, we forget. Because it's things of children. But angels are powerful. Angels can do far greater things than we could ever imagine. And yet, do we ever ask them? Again, we find that even every nation has an angel that watches over the, the nation. And so I wonder if we as Americans ever pray that our angel might protect us, that our angel might keep us safe. And again, they've been given a great mission by God, a mission of love. That is all they can do is love, to love us and to love those around us. And yet it's not just enough to simply believe in angels. We must also be faithful in fear for sin. Again, one of the things that I am still trying to figure out how to get started back at the churches that I serve at is Pope Leo XIII gave us the prayer, St. Michael the Archangel. If you pray the rosary, I would imagine you know the prayer. Again, St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. And he said that it came after he saw a vision. He was at Mass in St. Peter's, and he saw a vision of demonic spirits all over the city of Rome. And it scared him. And so he had this prayer written, and he said he wanted everyone to say the prayer after Mass. That after every Mass, we should all get on our knees and say the prayer, St. Michael the Archangel. Again, Pius XII took it and added also for the conversion of Russia. And so we see our Holy Fathers reminding us that St. Michael is not just something from the past. He is something still here for us today. And as we go on, one of the crazy things that we see with Satan is he loves to give us gifts. Because he can. Because he's got power. He's got the ability to do great things. And so again, one of the men in the exorcisms that was done, he had the ability to see distant places. And he thought it was him that was doing it. And so he was all excited about being able to see these distant places and he'd go into these great trances and he was all excited because he had these special powers. What he didn't know was Satan was attached. That it was a demon within him that was showing him a place that existed in another country but only to get him to trust in himself and this demon. And so we see that Satan wants to tempt us. Again, look at the way he worked in the garden. He divided and conquered. He got the woman alone and then said, do you really think God loves you? Are you sure you can't eat of that? Why do you really think you can't eat of that fruit? Is that because you're going to become like him? Oh, go ahead. It's okay. Don't worry. It won't be too bad. In fact, it'll be great. Again, this dividing and conquering. How often do we think of power and we want it? I'm still often amazed at how many people want to be a famous movie star or athlete. Again, if you've ever watched VH1, they always have those, where are they now? And all of these rock stars have done what? Gone through rehab, lost everything they had, their life is a mess, and yet we want to be like them. Why? Well, because we would be different, Father. You know, if I was like Michael Jordan, I would do really good things with my money. 
Would you? I don't know. You know, again, why do we want to be like them? Why do we not teach our kids to be like saints? Why don't we say, you know what? Don't worry about Michael Jordan. Be like Padre Pio. He was incredible. He was a man of faith. He was a man that did something incredible for the world. But again, do we know anything about them? Are we able to learn about the saints and what they did in life? And so one of the things that's always important in your life is to always ask, where is this coming from? If you find yourself nervous and afraid, to stop and say, Lord, where is this coming from? Is this of you or not? If this is not of you, I do not want it. I do not want it to be a part of my life. If it is from you, then I will accept it. Again, so to see this. And so we see again with an exorcism, Mark 16, verse 17. These signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. And so we see here again this idea of casting out demons. Again, there's an exorcism that we've all undergone, our baptism. Through baptism, each and every one of us has been exorcised. We have been freed from Satan at our baptism. And so that is the first kind of exorcism. It's a simple exorcism done almost every Sunday throughout the country as we bring children into the power of God. As we claim them for Jesus Christ. And so we see again, the second kind is a solemn exorcism. Only to be done by an exorcist. So again, as I said at the beginning, the bishop or a priest who has been delegated the authority. No one else should ever attempt an exorcism. It's not something to play with. You can find it online. Again, with the great internet, all you have to do is type in exorcism and they will print out the whole right for exorcisms. But it says clearly at the top, do not try this if you are not a Catholic priest. And I thought, how interesting. Again, if you are not a Catholic priest, do not try this. Because one of the interesting things that we find is there are people from other religions that are coming to us because they don't know what else to do. They've tried their minister. They've tried their leader. And again, it's not to put down the other religions, but it's to show the power of the priesthood and what we have been given. And so again, what we must first do is figure out, is an exorcism necessary to be done? And so what we find is the beginning of an exorcism is an exorcism in which we try to figure out, is this person possessed? And so we begin to look and see what is happening here. How does the person react to holy objects? How does the person react to the name of Jesus? How does the person react in any of these things? And again, what we find is the demon does not want to leave. The demon is perfectly happy right where he is at. And so they will be cunning, and they will be sly, and they will be quiet. And they'll just sit there, and they'll just let the priest come in and say his prayers, and hopefully assume the priest is just going to move on out and say, well, he wasn't really possessed. Don't worry about it. But again, if the priest finds that there is some reaction to this activity... Again, I know of a case in which the priest came in and started talking to the person that was supposedly possessed and the person didn't do a whole lot. So the priest walked out of the room, picked up the Eucharist, put it back in his pocket, and walked back into the room. And so he said, nobody knew what I had. Nobody knew where I went. And he said, that person clung to the wall. 
that the person leaped up off the ground and stuck to the side of the wall like a spider. That's when the priest knew that they were really serious here. Why? Because Jesus just stepped in the room and the demon was not prepared. Again, so what we see is the priest will have him and usually another priest to help say the prayers. Typically, if they can, a doctor to be with, just in case something goes wrong. And also for the doctor to be able to help verify that this is, you know, that this, they're doing everything right, that they, they watch the person. And then typically people to hold the person down. Because the person will move around and the person will thrash. And again, it's important that you pick people who are holy, people who are willing to stick it out, people who aren't afraid to hear certain words used, because the demon is trying to keep himself where he's at, and he will do whatever they can to confuse the people. And so as we see, it begins again simply, Behold the cross of the Lord. And the priest will simply lay his stole on the forehead, or on the neck of the person, and make the sign of the cross, and begin the litany of saints. Again, the great litany of saints. Again, something when I was a little kid, I kept thinking, oh, here we go again. we got all these people's names that I don't know. And yet, what are we doing? We're calling on all of those people who love us more than we love ourselves. And then they do a litany of deliverance. They can read a psalm, command of the demon. And this is one of the things that the priest must figure out, is the priest needs the demon to name himself. Because at this point, the demon and the person seem to be the same. And so the priest has got to ask questions to the demon. And again, the demon will try to confuse the priest and ask other questions and get him sidetracked. And the priest just has to stay focused on what he's about to do. He needs to know who and how many are present. And he must stay there until they name themselves and number themselves. Because without it, they don't know what they're dealing with. And so the priest will stay there and continue at that point. Again, once they figure this out, then they can command the demon in the name of Jesus Christ to come forth. They will read passages from the Gospel. Again, passages of Jesus Christ casting out demons. And then there is an actual rite of exorcism. And they can choose. There's three different ones. You can pick one. And they read it back and forth, back and forth. They go through it. And they wait until the demon leaves. And they stay there as long as they need. If they can't get it done in the first try, they can come back again. Because sometimes it can take hours and hours and hours. Sometimes just to get the name of the demon is enough work. And then they pray in Our Father, a Hail Mary. They'll say the Creed. Again, things we take for granted. The Canticle of Zechariah, the Magnificat. Again, these prayers that we've learned and yet we so easily say them at church. And yet we sometimes miss the power of them. One of the things that they'll say as, as I read up on exorcisms, never ask useless questions. Again, I think there's kind of this little thing in the back of our mind like, you want to ask like, who's going to win the Super Bowl next year? <laughs> you know, or what are the lottery numbers tomorrow? I mean, there's all of those things that all of us have thought one time or another. If I could just get that little bit of information. That's what Satan wants. He wants this person to begin to ask some crazy questions. And so again, as they, they talk about it, we also want to know, how did you get here? Again, as a doctor would try to diagnose a person, they would want to know, when did you get sick? 
Did you eat anything? Did you do anything? And so too with the demons. What did you do? When did you first recognize something was wrong? Did you do anything? Did you play the games? Did you invite him in? What did you do? And then you can even ask, when are you going to leave? Might sound like an easy question, but say, you know, when are you leaving this person? Because the priest wants to be in charge. And so the priest wants to be the one asking. Again, it's possible somebody could cast a spell. And so again, this is the, the, the craziness that we live in today. Again, there was a, a case of an exorcism where the person had an apple that a spell was cast on, which I know sounds just like Disney, and the person was possessed because of the apple that a witch cast a spell upon. And so it, it can happen. Um, if that was the case, then they'll have to figure out how to undo that spell. Did the person eat something? Again, we'd need to know. Was sorcery a part of it? Again, we talk about these things and we, we think they're kind of funny, but they really are important. But one of the things the exorcist says time and time again, the first thing we must do is go to confession. And so again, in one of the books that I read, it had been about 20 years since he wrote the book, and so he rewrote the introduction. And he said, oh, how things have changed. Nobody goes to confession. Nobody says their prayers. Nobody really believes in this. And he said, we're only making things worse. And so again, the question, when was the last time we went to confession? The students at the Newman Center will know that I talk about confession nonstop. In fact, one of my parishioners in white said, Father, how many times are you going to mention confession in homily? And I said, I'll stop when you start going. Because <laughs> they don't go. So, just like a parent, I'll continue to tell you. It's an important sacrament. Make sure you go. And it's an important sacrament for everyone to go to. Again, it's not one of these things where the dad says, son, you should go to confession. I'm going to stay here and read the sports page. But you go. And you take your mom with you because it'll be good. Nope. We all go together. And we all go there to show everyone we're the same. You know, when the priest stands in line at confession, people are always looking at him funny. Like, Father, what are you doing out here? Well, the same thing you are. Going to confession. Oh, you go? Well, of course I go. I'm human. Again, that reality. We're all supposed to go. One of the things, again, that we find that we're running into problems in our culture is Western consumerism. Again, back to this question of giving money up. We have become addicted to the God of things. We love things. And so, again, we want to consume and consume. And we want it to make us happy. And yet what we're finding is, is it doesn't make us happy. And yet we keep buying because we think it's going to make us happy. One of the other things we see is socialism and communism. I find myself saddened when people go to communist countries and they say how great this place is. Yeah, it's wonderful. Take God out of the picture. That's a great thing to do. Tell people they can't believe in God. That'll make us happy. That'll make us better. Again, spirits, witchcraft, the occult, music. Again, do we listen to the music our children listen to? And what are they talking about? And what are they saying? And every parent has a right to destroy any piece of music they deem unacceptable. But I hear kids say, you won't believe it, Father, my dad took away my CD. So? 
They find no sympathy with me in these. Again, because Satan will use whatever he can to get in. And you know as well as I do, you can have a song you learned back in the 50s, 60s. It can come on and you will sing it from the beginning to the end. Because you never forget your music. And so think about that. If your kids are hearing things that they shouldn't hear, they will never forget this. Again, what we'll find is that towards the end of an exorcism, the demon will realize he is out of luck. And he will begin to scream and yell and say he doesn't want to leave and he's happy. And the priest continues to say, to hell you go. Because that's where you belong. Again, one of the things they will do is they will talk to the person. Don't let me go. You need me. You want me to be part of your life. Again, it's almost like an addiction. Think of how many people who have been addicted and they say, it's, it's like I need it. It's my friend. It's my companion. Again, the demon wants the person to think they need him. And then after it's all over, it's still important these people keep a good prayer life. Again, as we hear in Matthew 12, that after the demon was brought out of the house, it realized it liked it, so it moved back in and brought seven friends. Because it worked pretty well the first time. And so it's important to be able to keep yourself as a person of prayer. It's important to be able to make sure that you're aware that it could come back. And not to be fearful of it. But again, as we see, and I'll wrap it up here in about two seconds. Give you a quick summary. Again, exorcisms are real. They're real because Satan is real. They're a part of our life, but they're not something we should fear. But again, we should know we have great power. We have power in our church, power in our sacraments, power in the saints. And so again, we need to be able to rely on that. Not on our own power. It's not up to us. Jesus Christ defeated Satan. It's over. But we must realize that it's Jesus Christ that will continue to keep us and save us. That it's Jesus Christ that we must turn to in times of need. And so again, if, if you are concerned about a person, pray for them. You know, hopefully you can talk to your priest. I don't know all of the priests in our diocese and how they think of exorcisms, but I would hope all of our priests would be willing to at least talk to you and visit with the person and say, you know, we'll talk and we'll see what's happening. You know, I don't know that we're all going to be finding possessed people, but we find that it is Jesus Christ. And so hopefully tonight you learned a little bit about what exorcisms are and they aren't, how to avoid certain things that we should avoid. And with that, I will open it up for questions. Kevin Miles has a handy-dandy microphone, so... Any questions? Nobody? Oh, I'm over here. Oh. Yeah, again, the question was, what if they say they've got a good spirit running around their house? Um, I would still bless the house. Um, again, there's this, there's this danger of saying, you know, it's white magic. 
You know, it's the good stuff. Well, it's not. Um, again, I would continue to say your prayers, but typically, again, we don't have good spirits wandering around our house. I mean, that's the ultimate thing. Is, but you're right. They would come in and say they are a good spirit. You know, this girl who had, uh, this lady who had a young little girl. You know, she, she was just kind of concerned that there was a spirit running around her house. You know, but yeah, I would still bless it and say your prayers and ask God to reveal where this came from. Mm-hmm. Well, they are sent to hell. Um, is where so a demon? Where does a demon go? A demon goes to hell, which is where they belong. And in a book I read, Father Candido, who was the exorcist um, at the Vatican, he was expelling a demon, and he said, "Get out of here! The Lord has already prepared a nice, well-heated house for you." The demon responded, "You do not know anything. It wasn't he." God who made hell, it was us. He had not even thought about it. Again, do we really realize God doesn't want us there? God loves us. But there has to be a place for them to go. So they created their own place, hell. And so that's where they get sent back to, is back to hell. Dick Johnson, uh, the question I have, um, you don't read or hear about uh, exorcists nowadays as much, let's say, as you might have read about them in the past. Is it possible that uh, most of these exorcisms, uh, or most of the people who were assumed to be under the influence of, of Satan, were really suffering from mental illness? And the reason we don't hear about exorcisms now is because the if they were looked into, they really couldn't survive the scrutiny of, let's say, medical science. In other words, it would be found that it isn't Satan, it's really just a, a mental illness that, that the person had. Right, again, the, the question about the difference between possession and just a mental illness. And I would say there probably were some cases where that, that is the case. I think we've actually gone the other direction, though. I think we, we don't give Satan enough credit for being part of our lives. Again, they're beginning to realize that stress alone can cause disease. You know, and so it's the, the, the power of the mind, the power of the body. Um, I think we don't hear about it because nobody believes it's possible. So what I think what we need really is more to have a better relationship with the medical community and the church and working together to be able to talk about this and to be able to, to determine which ones are real cases of a medical need and which one is, because sometimes it's both. You know, sometimes it can be both. Um, but yeah, there would probably be times where you would say that it was more of a medical problem than a spiritual. But again, we see in Scripture, Jesus clearly points the difference. That there are times that he just heals the person and says nothing about a demon. And there are other times where he casts out a demon and they're healed. And so even Jesus shows us there are two kinds. And so you're right, you know, some of it might be that our medical community. But I worry more now that we don't believe it's possible. And so we over-medicate. And we quickly assume that it's, it's a medical problem, not a spiritual problem. Again, we don't go to church. So 
There's our first problem. You know, and, and, and that's also the reality, that, that we have to find that balance. But I don't know that there's a lot of information statistically as far as how often does somebody come and they find out that it's a medical problem and how often is it simply a possession versus a medical problem. Good question, though. Statistics on exorcisms in the church? You know, they would have them somewhere, but they don't normally publish them. Um, because again, the exorcist would, I mean, the exorcist would have to talk to the bishop about what he's doing. Um, and so from that standpoint, we would keep records of what's happening um, and how often it is. But again, some of our problem is some of our bishops don't believe in it either. And so unfortunately, the, the people in charge aren't coming out to help us. So there's that challenge. But yeah, we would keep the record somewhere. Somebody's got to know. We keep records for everything. Yeah, we do that, don't we? All right. Alex Dobbs, uh, Christ the King Parish. And um, I guess the question I have for you, Father Paul, is how can priests, mental health counselors, and the medical profession work together um, in those situations? Again, that's a, an interesting question in, in a, a program that I'm in on spiritual direction. One of the ladies is a clinical psychologist, and she, she says the same thing. She said that part of her problem is she says she gets too many people referred to her first, and she sends them back to her priest and says, go see the priest first and then come back to me. Um, so what I think we need is we need to be able to have, as, as the church has always said, good Catholic physicians who understand the Catholic faith and understand the medical field and can work together and can together have a conference and talk about this to be able to work together and say, how do we deal with this together? What's the difference? What is the possibility? You know, how do we see the difference between a kid who's just depressed and a kid who's really in the occult? Um, but I think it takes laity who are willing to enter into the field as a Catholic and bring their faith in with them and then they can come back to their priest and they can sit down and say, you know, this is where I'm at. But too often we separate everyone from the Catholic Church and we miss that point that, that the two go together. So, you know, I, again, I think if a bishop would gather some of the, the health field together along with some of his priests and sit down and, and talk about, about it. Wouldn't you believe that you were talking earlier how you're going to Chicago for school for spiritual direction? Mm -hmm. Um, wouldn't you believe that also the, the, the fields of science could be great benefit from good and proper spiritual direction for most people, and that helps also work out that field right. of the help? Yeah, I think it is an important thing to see the two aren't supposed to be separated. Got one right here. Hopefully this isn't a question of ignorance. Uh, healing masses. Okay, let's say if you don't, can't distinguish between whether it be a mental illness or actually a possession. Uh, are healing masses unique to the Catholic faith? And if not, could somebody who is themselves in question of mental illness or possession just do a healing mass, and could that maybe help them differentiate? Is it unique to the Catholic Church? I don't necessarily think so. I mean, I don't know how real they are, but you see, you know, people on TV all the time who are healed, and it's because of the power of Jesus Christ. 
but but for us, I mean, the mass is unique to us, and healing mass, yeah, and anyone could go to a healing mass. Um, and again, it, it's relying on the, the, the power of the Eucharist, the power of Jesus Christ, um, the power of the anointing of the sick. Um, and you're right, we probably could have more, more healing masses. And I think even healing of just wounds of, of hurt, of hatred, of anger, of sadness, that those, I think, are wounds that are probably deeper for many people. Um, and I think we probably should have them more often. I don't know that we do have them too often. Again, Father Paul, aren't you also saying the, that when it comes to the exorcisms areas, they are not attending in the first place, they are not regular goers of Mass or regular goers of the sacraments, too. Right. So it's They're always avoiding the sacraments to start with. Yeah. But, you know, and it seems that the, the priests that do the healing Masses are what we consider a charismatic priest, who is a priest who is very in touch with the spiritual dimension of the priesthood and that power. So, so the priests do realize, you know, that, that this is a, a grace for us. Um, we also do, you know, the anointing of the sick, which is exactly the same thing. You know, we're, we're, we're praying for these people. Does that make some sense? Did I answer your question enough? No? I think my question Okay. In that, in what you said does, in my mind, answer one of my questions. Okay. My second one is, like Kevin mentioned, that those who... Um, are maybe possessed, don't really participate anyway in the faith. Right. Okay, so let's say you have somebody who's really not participating, maybe thinks they're a little off the rocker versus are possessed. If they do nothing else but maybe attend a healing mass of some sort, uh, do you think that could differentiate to them? Would the demon respond? Let's say, let's say the they demon are possessed. could respond, yes. A demon would, I mean, again, a demon could, but at the same time, it might not because it knows that it doesn't want to be known. Um, again, it, it's unfortunate, but you know, even the clergy are not freed from demonic possession. Um, and again, I heard a story about you know, an African tribe where the man saw a, a, a spirit, and he was talking to the spirit about it, and he said, we're the evil spirits who have come to your village. And he said, really, well, where are you? And he said, well, there's two with your priest, there's 11 inside your church, and six are just wandering around your community. And again, where are you going to go first? Attack the church. Keep them from coming. Because if you can keep them out of the church, then you got them, then you don't have to worry. You know, so you're right. So, and again, encouraging people to come, pray for them. You know, I mean, I think that's the other thing. If you know of somebody that's ill, to really pray for them. You know, and invite them to come and see what, what, what they could find. I'm Chris Dvorak from Christ the King. You had mentioned in that um, you could go get some holy water and you know bless your house. Does a priest not need to do that, or well, can anybody do that? Well, you could have a priest come in, and you should have your priest. In fact, I think Father Dana and I would agree. There's nothing I like better than to go to someone's house. You know, you don't even have to feed me. You just have to invite me over. <laughs> you could feed me if you wanted to. That would that would that would be good as well. But again, it's so rare for a priest to get invited into homes. Um, and maybe people don't know that you can do it. I don't. Or maybe you didn't grow up with it. I, we had, I'm, I think people thought they lived at our house. I don't know. They were always at my house. Um, but it, again, you can do it yourself. You can bless your children yourself. Um, but there's an actual right, though, 
um, and you can um, have the priest come, and there's a right for blessing a home. And that, that you would have to have the priest do themselves. But you could bring home a bottle of holy water and bless your house with the holy water. You know? Bless your kids before they go to bed. Bless yourself before you go to bed. You know? Uh, every thunderstorm that came by my house, we had holy water all <laughs> over the place. So. <laughs> so, any others? Um, are the movies Exorcist and the Exorcism of Emily Rose based on actual exorcisms? Are they kind of a combination of exorcisms, or is some of it just Hollywood stuff? From what I know, at least with the exorcism, it is based on a true exorcism. The only difference was it was a boy, not a girl. Um, and so it's, it's fairly accurate. Um, the language, the things they did, um, the problems... Um, Emily Rose is a little unique in, in the sense that it was actually happening at the time The Exorcist, the movie, was coming out. It was happening over in Germany. Um, and again, I don't know all the details for that one, but as I watched it, it made sense. You know, it all seemed to fall in line with what an exorcism would be and, and the difficulty of doing one. You know, that it's not just something, you know, easy. And even in The Exorcist, you know, I mean, it was, it was awful, you know. The things that happen in the movie, um, but yeah, I don't think I don't think Hollywood feared too far from the truth. There's a scene in The Exorcist where the character. <laughs> there's a scene in The Exorcist where the character Reagan's head turns completely around 360 degrees. Are, are you saying that that actually happened? I'm saying that it could happen. Crazy things like that can happen. Um, the demon can distort the person. I mean, the demon can do a lot of things to these people, you know. But we would like to think that they wouldn't do those things because they don't want to kill them because if they kill them, then they're out of a body, you know. So that's their other challenge. But, yeah, it's, it's quite a, a thing to have to watch. Ghost Whispers is a show of mine that I kind of intrigues me. And you had mentioned earlier that there are no uh, friendly spirits around. Is it possible you could have spirits that maybe haven't crossed over, like in the Ghost Whispers? Okay, and this is a question I asked Christopher before, too, in, in this, along with the um, mediums yeah. that we deal with, too. What is re Catholic response to that, and who are they talking to, and what's, what's our partake in that? We shouldn't be messing with them. Um, again, the, and Father, you can correct me if I'm wrong, we don't really talk about spirits being stuck. But now a spirit can, I mean, a, de a demon can talk and say they are your long-lost grandmother or, you know, they, they can say whoever they want to be. You know, they don't have, I mean, they're going to lie to you anyways. And they can tell you a lot of truths. Again, Satan will tell you 1,000 truths for you to buy one lie. And so, again, it, it, to, to mess with, with any of it is, is just, you know, and yet you can watch it and, and think, you know, I don't, I've never heard of the, the show, so I don't know what you're talking about exactly. But there's the guy that, on TV that talks to the dead. I don't know what his name is either. Um, and I wouldn't mess with it. Um, it's too easy to be deceived. Now, yes, there are cases where angels have come down and talked. As we know, Mary had an angel talk to her. And that is, 
But again, the angel clearly identifies themselves in the case of who they are and what they're about in that case. But there, there's this idea that we can communicate with the dead is something we should avoid. Pray for them, of course, but... Verna Reiner, St. Michael's Parish. And um, two of our kids thought that they saw ghosts in our house as they were growing up. We just kind of laughed mm -hmm. it off and said, oh, can't be. But now those same two kids, as they're married, think that they have a ghost in their house. Okay. Now, they've been active in their faith, always. Mm -hmm. So could they not be possessed? Could it be something that's following them around, or what? Well, it could be. I mean, it could be a spirit in their house. And they, you know, have they had their house blessed? Not that I know of. You know? Um, and again, as I say, you know, just even practicing Catholics can, can still have the problems, too. It's not necessarily because we don't practice our faith that we're going to be possessed. But, you know, they may have seen something, you know, when they were younger. And they may see something again now. Um, but again, to, to really pray and to bless their house and have their house, you know, make sure that there's images and, and, and see what happens after that. Um, I had a high school friend call me and say the lights turn on and off in her house, you know. So I said, well, bless your house and, you know, call me in two weeks and see, you know. And she didn't call me back. So again, I'm assuming whatever it was went away. Um, but I would encourage them first to bless their house um, and have a priest come over and do that. And then make sure they have at least a crucifix in their house, you know. But yeah, you have it blessed. I mean, demons can sit in St. Peter's. They can sit in your house, you know. But again, we have to keep inviting them to leave, you know. Um, you, you know, Father Paul, you should also invite your friend to call an electrician, too. I mean, well, that, yeah, that, could that be would be the other too. thing. <laughs> Thanks, Kevin. Electrician would be helpful. I was wondering, what do you do with animals that you think are possessed? Not that I have one, but do you? Well, I'm not a very big fan of pets, so I just haven't put to sleep. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I'm not, I mean, I really am not a, I mean, I love, I love pets and all, but, um, well, you can have a pet blessing. I mean, we bless pets every year. You know, St. Francis pet blessings. I blessed all kinds of cats and dogs and gerbils and horses and whatnot. Um, but as, yeah, you can have your pet blessed first, I suppose. But uh, if it's, I mean, if it's still not a very good pet, I'm, I'm sure there's other priests that would disagree, and a former bishop that would probably disagree with uh, that statement, but. And um, I've had not like demonic experience, but a few experiences with odd things that I had talked to a priest about. And I was told um, never to have dialogue with them. And just a few, um, several months ago, my father, as he was passing away, um, he talked about the big guy being there a lot, being the devil. At first we thought it was God, but unfortunately it wasn't, and it was just, it seemed as though he was there. Now, whether that be medication or real or whatever, we were just very aware and very prayerful and made sure we went to confession before we were in the hospital room with him in those last days. But um, in that time, too, at one point, my sister who was there prior to me said, 
you know, we said, get out or whatever. And um, from my experience, I was like, don't even talk to him. Just make sure that you're saying the name of Jesus Christ. But would you have anything more on that? Like I said, it was just a couple kind of disjointed experiences. But um, like at one point I had said to something was odd around me. And I said, well, then get in the car because I was on my way to daily mass anyway. And then another friend who had had an experience said, no, you shouldn't have said anything to him. You should not have even acknowledged him or whatever it was. Yeah, in a sense, the, the reason for not acknowledging them is not to get in a dialogue. Again, that's what they want is for you to begin to talk to them, and then they get you all confused and flustered and whatnot. Um, and so, again, I, I, I think, again, making the, the sign of the cross, you know, and saying the Our Father, you know, even, even if it's silently. I mean, they can hear you. Um, they know what you're thinking anyways. Um, and so continue, you know, the power of Christ compels you. You know what I mean? To be able to really say it's Jesus Christ has destroyed you. You know? It's in the name of Jesus Christ that, that I find strength. Um, and in a sense, just ignoring that, that you even think they're there, but just reminding yourself that Jesus Christ is the one that, that keeps me safe. And, and maybe a good time to talk, you know, your guardian angel. Angel of God, my guardian dear. You know, may you protect us here. May you be with us. I mean, they're there. And they're waiting for somebody to say something. You know, so if there's one you'd talk to, it'd be your own guardian angel. But to be able to, to do that. But yeah, their fear is that you would begin to try to dialogue and get all confused and flustered. And that would be why you wouldn't want to talk to them. Any more questions? Not one. Does the church believe that demons can be passed on through inheritance, like mother to child um, or somebody in the family, that it would remain in the family? Um, I don't know that I've read anything about a, a demon necessarily being passed. Almost like a curse in the family? like A curse pulls. could be done. Like if somebody cursed or, or put a spell on you know, the family, that spell, in a sense... If depending on how it was done, but that a demon would necessarily it might I mean if if the mother dies it's got to go somewhere, but I don't know that there's necessarily like you'd inherit the demon necessarily from your mother per se, more if it, if there was a spell type, but that would be my answer on that. I've never yeah have you ever heard of anybody or is there no? no? I mean, I just, I just, if somebody's, if, okay, say like a person is passing on, a person is dying, and maybe they were the victim of demonic possession, um, and then say somebody else in the family had a baby in utero, mm -hmm. very susceptible, can, can the demon pass? I mean, a demon can go, in a, I mean, a demon could desire to move into that, but again, it would require it having to get access to the next person. But it wouldn't do a whole lot of good to possess a baby because a baby will be baptized and then you're out of luck again. Um, in that sense, I mean, that's why I mean, baptism is a very important sacrament. I mean, that's your first line of defense is to, to baptize the child. And yet, you know, we wait quite a while at times. But that would, I mean, I think the demon would realize that one and not, I mean, if I was, I'd think about that and be like, ah, that's not a good place to go. 
Uh, but they, they will have to go somewhere. Father Paul, I thank you very much. Um, I've, uh, I think it's very good that we had this conversation. I told you a little bit about my conversation earlier today, and it was with a gentleman who was involved in the occult. And uh, it was a very scary conversation because you don't think about that around here. And uh, I think it's very good that we give you a hand and then you close us off with a blessing before we leave tonight. Sure. <laughs> In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Dear Lord, we give you thanks and praise for all that you have given us. We ask that tonight as we gather together, you may continue to be strengthened in your faith, that we may put our trust in your cross, that we may always turn to you, to your mother, to the angels, to the saints, that we may find strength and comfort in our church and in our community. And together let us pray, St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and the snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Hosts, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. The Lord be with you. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace. Thanks. 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 Thanks.